Good morning, CHPC. <laughs> it's a treat to be here with you. We have been gone for a long time over in Eastern Europe, and we think of you often. We read the newsletter every week, but it's such a treat to be here. Let's pray together that God will be with us. Oh Lord, we are here, we bring ourselves and whatever parts of our mind and our hearts we can gather up and we bring it here to be with you and to worship you. Lord, please guide our thoughts and our hearts, guide my words, be in our understanding. And help us to deepen our knowledge and love for you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture this morning, the first one of our scriptures, comes from the book of Isaiah. You know, Isaiah lived a long time ago. And... The people of Israel were kind of wandering around doing their thing and they were getting distracted from what they should be doing and getting distracted from their relationship with God. So it's great to read Isaiah to help us remember, aha, God's important. So Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 11. You can follow along on the, on the screens or in your, in your pew Bibles. And I will read. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall be level and the rough places plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like a flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the will of our God will stand forever. Get up, get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might and his arms rule, his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock 
like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. And our gospel reading is from the gospel of Mark, the the first chapter, the first eight verses. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I love preparing for Christmas. I love the smells. I love the flavors. I love the music. I love trying to find just the right little present for all of my grandchildren. I like doing it with them. It's great fun. But the most important preparation we do for Christmas is the preparation of God's coming. Last week we talked about cleaning, cleaning ourselves, cleaning up our sins, our mistakes, our misunderstandings, cleaning up our distractions so that we can be aware and with God when God comes. This week we are talking about cooking. How do we cook up Christmas? Isaiah, when he was writing to the people of to the Hebrew people, he, he wasn't probably the most popular person at the time because he was pointing out to the Hebrew people that they had wandered astray when they had been called by God and named to be the people of God. God saved them from Egypt and God provided for for them through all of those years in the wilderness and God took them to the promised land and they got there and they decided they wanted a king like everybody else because after all, our neighbors have kings and we want to have something just like them. And coming along with the king came wars and came hoarding riches and all kinds of other things and they got just a bit distracted from God being their leader and God being their king. So Isaiah reminded them frequently and 
in this particular passage, he said, you have served your time. You have wandered as far as you need to. You have been separated from God as long as you need to. God has forgiven you. Now, prepare yourself. Prepare the way for God to re-enter your lives. Prepare to welcome God into your presence. So how do we prepare? John the Baptist lived a couple hundred years after Isaiah. And John, like Jesus, knew his scripture. John and Jesus grew up in the temple. They went there for worship. They went there for all the feasts and the holidays. They didn't have printed Bibles like we did, so they memorized. And John knew his scripture. And he knew the passage about prepare the way of the Lord. And God talked to John. So John accepted the call to prepare the way. He, in his own ways, kind of became a walking billboard for God. He, needed, he knew he needed to stand out. He didn't have projection screens, and he didn't have lots of those kind of things. And for people to really notice him, he needed to be different. So he wore camel hair, and he wore a leather belt, and he ate grasshoppers and honey, and... People noticed him, but when they noticed him, he also said, repent of your sins and be baptized because God is coming. We are not John the Baptist, thankfully. I really don't want to eat grasshoppers. But we too are called to prepare the way of the Lord. And so how do we do that? How how do we prepare the way in our own lives? And how do we prepare the way in the community around us? First, in our own lives. How do we make it possible for God to not have to climb over mountains and boulders and zigzag around obstacles to get to our hearts. How can we make it possible for God to zoom straight in, for the road to be straight? I would suggest that one of the ways is to cook up the flavors of God in our lives, to marinate ourselves, to... Soak in prayer, soak in the gospel, to take time to carve out little pieces of time in your week and in your days when you can separate yourself from what goes on around around us. Yesterday I was out and about and and I was mulling around my sermon and, you know, what God was calling me to say here and how was I going to say that and and the loudspeakers were blaring Muzak and singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or something I don't know and and there was another big commercial about how you can find gifts 
that allow you to give generously but save like Scrooge. And, and I thought, you know, this doesn't help me prepare the way of the Lord. <laughs> there are lots and lots of distractions and to do things and, and the gifts that you are obligated to give to the postman and your children's parent or children's school teacher and, and how do you do all these things correctly and, and how do you pay for it if you're unemployed and, and, there are so many things that can distract us and pull us away from preparing for God's arrival. So how do we do that? Let's marinate our time in prayer. Find little times when you're doing the dishes or when, when you've put the kids to bed. Or when things are quiet early in the morning. And just hang out with God. Make the path straight. Make it easy for God to come into your heart. I think about sometimes about the aromas of, of Christmas. The things that we smell in the kitchen cinnamon and and gingerbread and all those really luscious things and i think what are the aromas of faith maybe hope god brings hope and hope is not something we can grab any more than we can grab a scent but we know when it's present and compassion and generosity and peace. When we can marinate ourselves, we can also begin to marinate the world around us. When it comes to the world around us and making the way straight, One of the first things I think of is being the gospel. Not saying it, not being another yep, 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 yep advertisement. There are too many of those. Remember, John the Baptist decided that the only way people would notice him is if he was different. Well, what about if we are different by being the gospel? By listening and sharing and comforting and supporting. There are, you know, I think about Christmas cookies and there are lots of fake Christmas cookies out there. There are lots of cookies that aren't the real deal. But we can be the real Christmas cookies. We can be the comfort for somebody who maybe just need somebody to talk to. Could be the the checkout person in Walmart. Who knows? I've thinking a lot about people that I have met and talked to and spent time with over the years, especially my years overseas, 
when Joe and I lived in Hungary, um, one of our jobs was to help the church figure out how to minister to refugees. Refugees are people who have fled the country they came from because of either religious or political persecution. These are not people that are just looking for a job. These are people whose lives are in danger. And there are thousands of them. In Hungary, we had people from northern Africa, from the Middle East, especially Iran and Iraq. We had people from Central Asia, from Chechnya, from the Tajikistans and those places, Afghanistan, Pakistan. And these were people who, for whatever the reason, often because they were on the wrong side of the government or they were on the wrong side of the, the religious mullahs, they had to leave their homes and everything that they knew and start over again in a new country. As the church, you know, just like this church, we didn't have buckets of money. I mean, it's not like we could provide houses for people and, and get them jobs and all of those kind of things. But we, Joe and I would go, and gradually we had more and more Hungarians that would work with us, and we would go and we would listen. And we would listen to people's stories and, and hear about where they came from and how did they they live in the country that they came from and what was special about it and what did they miss and we'd go with them to government offices and and be interpreters for them because they couldn't speak hungarian i didn't either at the beginning but i do now um so we just we accompanied them and out of that accompaniment more and more people came to join the church Some of them were Christians to start out with. We have wonderful Christians coming from Iraq and from from Syria, from Egypt, many from Africa. In fact, it's kind of fun at our church in Budapest because first the service always starts by somebody carrying in the Bible. And depending on who it is, sometimes they just put it down and open it. And sometimes they put it down and they bow. And sometimes they put it down and they kiss it. Sometimes they cross themselves because the people in that congregation come from all different Christian traditions. But the most special people in that congregation are the people who didn't know Christ at all. And through this, through this ministry of accompaniment, they would say, why are you people so good to us? Why are you so nice to us? Now, mind you, we didn't do this with money because we didn't have it. But we would just be with them. And they would say, why are you so good to us? And we would say, well, in my, in my belief, God has loved me. God has been with me through some really, really hard times in my personal life. And now my job is to be with you and to love you. And gradually they would say, I want to know more about that Christian God of love. I want to know more about how you are loved and why you love us and why God loves us, even us who are persecuted refugees. So they did. They would come and we would have Bible studies. 
We always gave people Bibles in their own mother tongue because we've learned that when people pray, they pray in the first language they learned. So if that happens to be Tigrinya and you're from Ethiopia, that's the language you pray in. And if it's Arabic because you came from Iraq, that's what you pray in. So through the Bible Society, we would pass, we got free Bibles to pass out to anybody that wanted one, and we would have Bible studies. And sometimes they would be in multiple languages at the same time. And I would speak English, and one of the refugees who spoke English and Swahili would translate for the people from the African countries who spoke Swahili. And somebody else who spoke English and Arabic would translate for the people who spoke Arabic. And we would have debates back and forth. And sometimes I'd raise my hand and I'd say, what are you guys talking about? Because there would be all this stuff going on. And they would tell me, and then they would go back to their discussions. But gradually, they would come to say, Jesus is my Lord too, and I want to be a member of the church. So they did. And they are still members of the church, and they send me emails, and I love it. <laughs> a second project that Joe and I have been working with and we continue to work with over in Eastern Europe is with Roma women. Roma people are also known as gypsies. And I don't know about you, but I heard stories from the time I was a little kid about those gypsies. They steal, they're dirty, they should be avoided at all costs. But as I've gotten to know my gypsy friends, I've discovered those things are wrong. In 2008, a group of women from the Presbyterian Church, one from each synod around the country, came to Eastern Europe and with Joe and I, we traveled around and met people from the church there, met other women, and they observed a, a Roma woman going door to door, knocking on people's doors, trying to sell a basket. And they said, why is she doing that? They said, well, it's winter. And in the winter, there's no work out in the fields, and her family is hungry, and she needs some money, so she made a basket to earn some money to feed her family. And our Presbyterian women said, well, we can sell baskets in the United States. So that was the beginning of what has turned into a huge, somewhat complicated project. But these... What is happening now is through the support of Presbyterian women all around the country, they are selling baskets made by these Roma women. Um, they are supporting the women developing a fair trade business. And my, my friends, the Roma ladies, are learning how to use email <laughs> they are learning simple accounting. They are doing their own shipping and receiving and learning this huge wealth of new skills by selling the baskets that they have been making in their kitchens for generation after generation. 
This is terribly important because if you are Roma and you live in Eastern Europe, you live in a little building that you have made yourself that is about the size of one, of one small room in our homes. It's heated by a barrel that they put sawdust. They can get sawdust usually for very cheap or free from one of the factories nearby, and they use sawdust to heat their homes. Um, they cook on the top of it. Sometimes there may be 15 people living in this one room. I don't know how they all lay down at night sometimes. They have to, must have to sleep in shifts in the homes that I've been in. But these very poor people live in ghettos on the margins of larger cities. They are not welcome in the mainline churches. They often are segregated to different schools because they are gypsy. And this project by the Presbyterian women has been life-changing where they are accepted as equals, as competent, strong women in a culture where women stand behind the men and are quiet. It's, it's absolutely life-changing. And out of these not because of this project, but parallel to this project. Thirteen new little congregations are flourishing. Because they're not welcome in the larger churches, they have started their own small congregations, and they have Bible studies, and they have wonderful music. These are, this is part of the gypsy tradition, to be able to be great musicians. And they are growing in faith, and they are very clear that this project of selling their, their handiworks is a gift from God that is changing their lives. Just like in Isaiah where he says, your, your time is finished. The price has been paid. You are welcome. Make straight the way of the Lord. I was thinking about these people and thinking about who are the people here in College Hill and in Cincinnati and in the United States who are on the margins of society. Who are the people in your building or in your neighborhood or in your school who have no family? Or maybe they have a chronic illness. Or maybe they're, they're homebound. Who do you know that is unemployed, like my gypsy friends? Or who do you know who is homeless? Who do you know who has a disability of some kind? Do you see any street kids in your movement around your community? Any dropouts? or any unemployed youth? How do we, as a congregation, as an individual, how do we begin to prepare the way of the Lord in the community around us? Let's go back to our ideas for Lent about cooking. 
I was thinking about cooking up peace soup. <laughs> I was thinking about how do we how do we prepare the way in our lives and in the community? How do we cook our way in? Well, if you start out with some meat and some onions and some garlic, you know, meat is tough, usually. And onions and garlic will make your eyes water. But if you start out and you saute these things, they start to cook a little bit. And if you add some broth and cook them slowly for quite a period of time, they start to get really tender. And we are, we are made of meat. And I don't know about you, but I can be a pretty tough bird sometimes. And there have been things in my life that would make your eyes water, like onions. Life has not always been good in some ways. But when all of those things are, saute, are, are marinated and simmered in the broth of God's love, they begin to be a wonderful base for a soup. The broth of God's love is rich and flavorful and it softens meat and it blends, blends in even the difficult flavors of onion and garlic and difficult times. When you add vegetables, the vegetables of experiences and the vegetables of different kinds of people, in, it becomes even, even richer. And then you add in some pasta, some pasta of hope. And you have a wonderful soup. You let it simmer for a long time. It becomes soft and the flavors blend and there's hope and there's sustenance in this. And then we serve all of this together to our community to ourselves, and we serve it together with the bread of life and with the cup of salvation. And we become a walking billboard for Jesus when we are marinated in that tender love of Jesus and we accompany people and we see them as God sees them, we become wonderful soup. We help smooth out the pathway for God's, God's coming to the world. So as we prepare for Christmas, make some little spaces. Make some little times when you can hang out with God when you can slowly let God marinate you. Let's pray. Lord God, soften us. Be with us. Guide our steps. And come into our lives.
We ask all of this with the hope and the trust and the, and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now come to the, the feast of peace.